the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. It's a couple minutes after four. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thanks for doing so. Happy Monday. Forecast, a lot of sun, a lot of wind the rest of the afternoon. Chilly, high just 47, down to 36 tonight with clear skies. Tomorrow, mix of clouds and sun, high 55. Eagles had a 23-9 win last night over uh, Dallas in Sunday night football. Not pretty, but they'll take that win, I'm sure. And Monday night football tonight, Don Brady and the Buccaneers are at the Giants at 8-15. Speaking of a little football, Gary G. Cobb, who was going to join us this past Friday, got tied up, is going to join us today. He actually has played for both the Eagles and the Cowboys, so he'll give us a little football insight, but also a little political insight and just some thoughts on the election tomorrow. He uh, ran as a, in, in New Jersey, actually, at one point in his life for office. And uh, in addition to him, I had a really interesting sermon experience yesterday uh, listening to our pastor, Steve uh, Smallman, and uh, he had some good stuff to share, too. So I invited him to be part of the program for a little while to just share some of the things he had to, to uh, say yesterday. That's all coming up. Quick break early on, then we'll get right into it here. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com. And on the WFIL app. Thank you so much for taking time today. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Rolling through the in my mind. AM560 WFIL, it's the Tim DeMoss Show. And uh, welcome aboard. One of our pastors at our church, although he's on the retired side now, but every now and again gets the chance to jump up front and share some good words. And yesterday was one of those days. Stephen Smallman, our guest today. Hello, sir. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, you've been a pastor for how many years now? Three, four decades, I guess it's been? Uh, yeah, I was ordained in uh, 1968. Wow. I was so, <laughs> I was born in 1968. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> so, like, and I did some, you know, uh, student pastoring before that, but uh, I'm still going. So, yeah. thankful for that. Yeah. Well, yesterday I was enjoying uh, watching uh, the message and taking in the service from our brown couch at home and yeah. uh, <laughs> online. And uh, you had a, a neat message to share that involved bacon. So any sermon that involves bacon wakes me up and gets me interested. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but in all seriousness, talking about the election and the message you had preached some years back, and just was an interesting story. So feel free to take a few minutes. It's obviously the eve of the election and, and some, some good thoughts to help folks as they process the next 48 hours and the days to come. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, um, first of all, the, the, my assignment for for the morning was to conclude the study we've been doing on the Lord's Prayer, and in particular to think about the doxology that comes at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So I had to ask myself, uh, you know, 
know, how to properly conclude that in, in view of the fact that there's all this other stuff going on, the pandemic. In, for many churches, it's called the All Saints Day. Um, right. But, uh, of course, the dominant reality is this is the Sunday before the election. So uh, I did think back to what I suppose is an amusing uh, experience, although really not funny. But some years ago, I was invited. Well, I'd been invited uh, to come monthly to preach in a church without a pastor to preach and then offer communion. In it turns out, 2008, I was invited for the first Sunday of November, and uh, that particular year it was the Sunday following the election. But uh, I deliberately sent in a notice to the church secretary on the Monday before the election. Six days before you were going to actually preach. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, so I put, the, I put the title, which I figured would get people's attention. I said, God's man was elected Tuesday night. Well, I, I did that, uh, again, deliberately before the election. In other words, I didn't know who that would be. Because my point was not to advocate for any particular candidate, but uh, to call attention to the famous passage in Romans chapter 13, which uh, says that every, every authority uh, has been placed there by God. And in Paul's case, he was writing during the era of the dominance of the Roman Empire, and uh, not sure exactly which Caesar was in place, it might even have been Nero. Right. Nevertheless, he says, you know, God is the one who's the ultimate authority, and he places by his purpose these uh, who are our rulers. So without knowing what that would look like for us, I offered that up as a, as a title. And by the way, that is in an old tradition that dates back to colonial days of of what used to be called Election Day Sermons, in which the pastors, and this is particularly the Congregationalists up in New England, would um, gather people either on the Sunday before the election or on Election Day itself and preach a sermon about, uh, again, God's role in being sovereign over all human government, and then the responsibility of Christians in terms of their citizenship. And uh, it would also include a challenge to those who are in places of authority that they need to fulfill their responsibility as being righteous and godly leaders. Well, something in that vein is the, is the intention that I had uh, preaching from Romans chapter 13. The remarkable thing that I mentioned that got folks' attention yesterday was when I showed up for the for the Sunday morning to preach, I looked at the bulletin, and someone had changed the title of the message. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, uh, it, it, they, I don't, I have no idea what was behind it. I was the guest preacher. It was hardly my place to, you know, call somebody on the carpet or say what's going on here. And in fact, it didn't change a word of what I said as far as the. The sermon was concerned because, again, I was challenging Christians, as I did yesterday, to uh, fulfill the the calling that they have from God. Uh, And particularly here in America, we have the the privilege that I hope we never take for granted that we are actually not 
simply spectators are ex- having to accept without question those who are in authority, but we have a chance to be part of it and to actually participate in uh, the unfolding of the will of God. But in the end, we do have to say God is on his throne, and uh, this will be the case after Tuesday night or however it long takes to count the, the, the ballots, that um, God is sovereign. He raises men and women up for his purposes, some we like, some we don't like. But uh, nevertheless, we really do have a, a deep conviction, which I then turn back into the Lord's Prayer when we're taught, of course, to pray, Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. So, um, yeah. but I, I just felt it was it was my assignment to preach on the Lord's Prayer, but uh, we really shouldn't pass by an opportunity to like the Sunday before the election to remind ourselves of that. Uh, it, it really is a divine calling to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Folks, just tuning in, chatting with Steve Smallman. He has uh, been a pastor for many years and has been a pastor, including where I go to church, and more recently, I guess, officially retired, but still gets the opportunity every now and again to come up front and share. And I always enjoy hearing, uh, you know, you share from the Lord's Word, and yesterday was a, a great opportunity, as you mentioned, the Lord's Prayer part, uh, which also ties in, obviously, because the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, because I, I think you opened the, the ser- uh, series on the Lord's Prayer and then closed it out yesterday. For thine is the power, the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, just re- reemphasizing like God is still on the throne. He's on today. He'll be on all day tomorrow. He'll be on on Wednesday. And not to forget that fact. So super important. Well, and I, I think as I was re- reflecting on e- even that doxology, it comes at the end of the prayer. And interestingly, while we traditionally add those words when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it really doesn't seem to have appeared in the in the actual prayer that Jesus taught, right, uh, either in Matthew six or Matthew, uh, or excuse me, Luke chapter four, but uh, I was just captured in a new way by the fact that we say, "For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever," and that's well beyond the next four years, yeah, and well beyond our own lifespan, and well beyond our own personal struggles and problems, and well beyond this awful COVID that uh, sort of. Uh, is the cloud hanging over everything. Uh, so the, the, that word forever just uh, jumped out and said, this this really has to be the dominant reality in our lives, not the, the politics of the moment. So yeah. that was kind of an, a nice coming together, I think, of the focus on the Lord's Prayer and uh, this election. Stephen Smallman, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show. Uh, we'll be back with more in just a moment. Also, Gary G. Cobb going to be joining us a little bit later on. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL.com and on WFIL app. Thanks for hanging out today. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL. Email D at WFIL.com. It's 418, the Tim DeMoss Show. Hold on to your toupee today. Small children lawn furniture is rather windy. Uh, we have a couple of special guests today. Continue our conversation with Steve Smallman, longtime pastor, including in the D.C. area. And he uh, has been a pastor at our church for many years and retired, but every now and again does uh, preach like he did yesterday. And some things he said, I was like, can you come on the program and talk about that a little bit? Talking about the election, talking about Lord's Prayer. 
Um, just to uh, quickly explain the bacon reference I mentioned at the beginning, you were talking <laughs> talking about your wife making some lovely minestrone soup on a cold weekend, and today, of course, being very chilly as well, maybe you have some leftovers lying around. Uh, we do. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. But you, you, you were just sharing that from the perspective of she was putting, what, bacon in there, a bunch of great veggies and things, kind of like all the things that are swirling around us, uh, the racial tensions that we have and other topics that yeah. are packing the court and all the other things that get thrown around in discussion in the in the culture. But what ri- rises to the surface for you is that the taste of bacon and similarly how that plays out with regard to uh, – with that, I guess well, I'll let you finish it off. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, uh, and along with the bacon, use the imagery of a food processor. You put all these different ingredients in, but does one flavor kind of stand out and dominate? And I really think we have to say that what dominates, again, is thy kingdom come. And and it's been a a sad thing that I think that's been eclipsed in in too many minds. And so it's a, a good opportunity to come back to center so to speak, as we uh, as we look forward to this uh, really decisive uh, moment in terms of our country's history, which will take place tomorrow. Yeah. Well, it, for many of us, it's already happened as far as the vote, but we'll see what happens. Sure. You know, and I was thinking there are a lot of scriptures that talk about God being on his throne, one that came to mind, uh, Psalm 47, 8. God just says, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Short, sweet, true, and let it ring true and loud. You know, that's, that's again, the truth today and will always be the truth. Uh, whatever right. comes and goes. You mentioned the election. You know, it's funny. My brother Steve has, has served the Lord in other countries. And he he mentioned, um, I think, last election. I think it's funny how time goes quickly. How in other, uh, where he's from, either the dictator, the, the, whoever's there is there for life, or the elections are like every 20 years. And it was kind of a mm-hmm. comfort to say, listen, look, you may not at the time as Hillary Clinton or, or, or Donald Trump say, you may not get the person you want. But remember, four years from now, you do have another shot. It's not like you have to wait 20 years or never. So, you know, take heart, even be grateful for that. And for the to your point earlier, also just, you know, this is a piece of the equation. We're citizens here for now. Our citizenship is in heaven. But while we're here, let's make sure we're also doing what we can. So Correct. Well, the last thing for you, if I could, for folks just tuning in, Steve Smallman, uh, our guest, he's a, a, a pastor at our church and had a sermon yesterday uh, revolving around the Lord's Prayer and, and mentioned some of the things pertaining to the election and God being on his throne. Uh, I know you have a particular passion for the Lord's Prayer. Uh, just share for a few minutes because, you, you know, visual is not easy through radio, but they say radio is theater of the mind. So you had a graphic at the end of the sermon yesterday with a hand. And maybe you could just give a, a quick uh, rundown of what that is to help folks in terms of praying through the Lord's Prayer? Sure. Uh, just a word. Both the, our current pastor and I have mentioned the fact that the Lord's Prayer is something that you kind of grew up with. I didn't have, actually, a, a Christian background, but, you know, that's sort of the, the minimum that you're familiar with. But I don't know that it really grabbed me as being some kind of an extraordinary gift. But uh, I, I got to a place of frustration in my own praying, even after I was a pastor for a number of years, and uh, came to Luke chapter 5, where the disciples come to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. The larger sentence is, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples, but that just was 
you know, the right moment, and God spoke to my heart, and I said, that's me, Lord. Teach me to pray. And interestingly, what does Jesus do but but uh, give us what, what we would call the Lord's Prayer, but in a kind of a shorter, a shorter version? And uh, you really have the, the same address that uh, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Father, uh, and then... What are five petitions, five requests? And uh, following that pattern, I, I, I began ticking those five requests off on my fingers. Hmm. And uh, when I was doing it, uh, one time someone pointed out, hey, Steve, why don't you talk about the Father being the palm of the hand? So uh, ever since then, I've, I've used that as a simple illustration, and people seem to have have been able to remember it. But if you think about the palm of the hand, everything about the hand itself is connected through the palm. And everything you and I would say to God, we speak to him with this extraordinary title of Father. You don't find God addressed, by the way, in the Old Testament. Even among people like Abraham and and David and holy people, and actually addressed as Father. So this was a gift that Jesus gave us to speak to God as he speaks to God, that is, to call him Father. And then when you just tick off the fingers of your hand, the first request, and this is a discipline that the Lord's Prayer gives us, to um, start not with my own needs and my own concerns, but to say, hallowed be your name. And this is this is not a statement; it's a petition. May your name be honored, uh, hallowed, reverenced. So it's a call to worship, and just to uh, speak of God's in His Majesty. And then the the next uh, petition is, "Thy kingdom come." And uh, when you really dig down into this, it just uh, expands in all sorts of different directions. The kingdom uh, has come in the person of Jesus. Uh, the kingdom is coming. It's coming in our own hearts. And so we pray for uh, the Lord to rule in our own hearts and lives. But it's coming in the world as the gospel goes forth. And, of course, the kingdom will come in all of its fullness and majesty. Uh, I think this, the base de- definition of the kingdom, uh, simplest, is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that extra phrase that we find in Matthew is, is part of that same request, but, but that opens up so many things to, to pray over. But the Lord is concerned about our daily needs, and so he teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the next finger on the hand, so to speak. But you can have a full stomach, uh, have everything you need materially, but have a, an empty soul, and, and one of the things that will eat you alive is the lack of forgiveness. And so the Lord teaches us to pray not only that he would forgive our sin, but also always in the light of of the fact that we are to forgive others as well. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts or our sins or our trespasses as we forgive others. And then finally, the last finger on the hand, so to speak, is to pray for our, our steps going forward. Uh, lead us not into temptation. And uh, again, the Matthew version that Jesus gave us adds, but deliver us from evil. 
And uh, literally, by the way, that's uh, from the evil, and uh, it's translated many times from the evil one. And so whole, the whole issue of spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God as we go forth into, the, into our day, and all of this is in the plural, so we're praying this not only personally, but for our family, for our community, hmm. to guide us. So, but the, the hand is a simple a way to remember. I, I've known people who've uh, literally sort of touch each finger on the hand as they go through to remind themselves, yeah. not only of the particular request, but also of the order. So we don't start with our own needs, but we start with worship yes. and a prayer and, and kingdom-centered praying. Stephen Smallman's our guest, pastor for many years, uh, including the D.C. area and also locally in the greater Philadelphia area, including at our church. And yesterday, he was doing kind of a once-in-a-great-while preaching opportunity deal and uh, had some good stuff to share. And I just wanted to be able to have him on today, and he was kind enough to say yes. And so I have a quick break to take and we'll wrap up our chat with him also gary g cobb gonna join us talk a little football and talk a little bit about tomorrow's election as well you're listening to the tim demar show am 560 wfil.com and the wfil app thank you for listening in today live and local it's the tim demar show weekday afternoons four till five on am 560 wfil and at wfil.com our podcast continues it's 431 the tim demar show a lot of clouds I mean, a lot of sun and windy. A lot of wind is what I meant to say. 47 the high today. 36 the low tonight with clear skies. Mix of clouds and sun tomorrow. That's where the clouds come in. 55 the high. Eagles beat Cow- uh, Cowboys 23-9 last night. Tonight it's Tampa Bay and the Giants doing Monday night football. Gary G. Cobb, former Eagle and Cowboy, going to join us shortly. But before we go that direction, wrapping up our conversation with Steve Smallman, longtime pastor and including at our church, and yesterday had a great sermon uh, that tied in. First and foremost, it was wrapping up our, our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, but he also mentioned it and tied in with the, uh, with the election happening tomorrow and some other things going on. Before the break, you're talking about your hand diagram to help folks remember the Lord's Prayer, the palm being the uh, Our Father who art in heaven part. Hallowed be thy name goes where, thumb or pinky? I start with the, with the pinky. Okay. Uh, one of the folks in the church when I was, another church I was pastoring, who came to faith actually, ended up going to Russia to teach. This is in those days when the, right after the Iron Curtain came down, he uh, came back to me and said, Steve, don't start your listening of the Lord's Prayer with the thumb, but start with a little finger, because by the time you get around to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you're holding the pointing finger. And he said, "You have to remember you you got to point to yourself uh, first." That's so I've funny. always I've always remembered that. I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good insight. Well, it make makes sense. But that that whole idea of let's set the table in the right order, it's a great yeah. it's a great reminder because it really does you know prioritize for us how things need to be and remembering God is on His throne, like we started our conversation with. That's and he's right. and he's holy, that's right? right? He's, that's all. That's all very stable. Those things don't change. His holiness and his character are are the stable point that we want to yeah. you know, base things on. Yep, yep. And and you honestly, if you look at this as a daily prayer, and that's not the only way to pray in the Bible. But if this be, if this sort of forms the foundation of of how you pray and how you learn to pray, it really is over time a transforming experience, again, that you're constantly praying for the kingdom. 
One element of that, by the way, that frankly I didn't really do in my own prayer life, which changed because of this, was to pray for the second coming of Jesus, which of course we're supposed to do. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But that's that's part of our daily praying. So uh, there's so much there that uh, is enriching. It's no wonder Christians have kind of latched onto it over the years. Of course, it can be prayed in a very routine and remote manner. So, in fact, our, our pastor labeled the series that we did Seeing and Saying the Lord's Prayer. I thought that was very appropriate. Go go deeper in. Yeah, it'll, You'll never explore the depths of this uh, wonderful prayer. Stephen Smallman's been uh, kind enough to spend a little time with us today. And, and, and actually, I was going to just ask that on the back end here. You had referenced, uh, and remind me how you said it, that, that you just said about going deeper in, uh, compared with other things where maybe you, you read and you get familiar, but this actually is the more you think about the Lord's Prayer and the more you pray it, instead of getting, hopefully, f- just familiar, it actually has a lot of layers to it. Exactly, exactly. But, but you know, how, how do we teach our kids? I, I think the, the simplest way to teach our children is you start with memorizing just the words. If you haven't gotten that far, then the meaning behind it uh, kind of gets lost. But so, so yeah, start. It really is a great beginner prayer, so to speak. But uh, it'll, you'll never exhaust the, the value of it. And uh, that, that's been my experience, at least. That's great. Well, thanks again for spending some time today. God bless you, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon and the rest of the minestrone. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. God thanks. bless you. Great stuff. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Steve Smallman, our guest, uh, pastor for many years, including in the D.C. area. And uh, our pastor, uh, every now and again, he used to be full-time with that and uh, now retired, but had a good sermon yesterday. Wanted to have him on today and glad that he took time for that. And we have uh, a lot to still get in here before the program is done. Uh, I want to bring on right now uh, someone I mentioned earlier in the program. We've joined us every now and again, the one and only Gary G. Cobb. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you doing? Excellent. Former Eagle and Cowboy, they played last night. It wasn't pretty, but it was an Eagles win, so you'll take that. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't pretty. <laughs> I tell you, that, 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 that's, uh, you know, somebody said, <laughs> one of my buddies was joking, he said, it's set, set football back 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it did give the Eagles a little breathing room because now at what three, four, and one, Washington's two and five, Cowboys two and six, Giants one and six, and probably one and seven after they play Tampa Bay tonight. Uh, yeah, but you know, you played in the league for a lot of years, and they, I do hear the phrase every now and again: every win in the NFL is a good one. But as far as you know, they're hard fought and they, to come by. So whether you're having a great year or not, you'll take it. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you go ahead and take it, uh, but they're going to have have to play better. And and really, you know, the guy, uh, Carson, I mean, he, he's just trying to do too much. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, a, qu- a quarterback um, has to look at the situation and they have to say, well, what's the risk of what I'm getting ready to do? <laughs> and and, and, the, and what's the benefit of it? And is, is it good enough opportunity? Or, you know, do I have two guys on the receiver I'm getting ready to throw the ball to? And there's more of a chance of them getting the ball rather than us. Well, that, that's not a good option, <laughs> and, you know, especially with a team like the Cowboys. Who, if the Cowboys, you put the Cowboys' offense out there with the young fellow Demucci. Yeah. If you put them out there by themselves, 
and left them out there for an hour, they still might have trouble scoring. <laughs> I, I really wanted to talk to you today because I knew that this kind of thing would be what you were saying. So, Well, you know, the thing, the thing is, the kid, you know, um, he, you know, this is his first game. I mean, and, you know, he was in over his head. Uh, so, so he struggled, as many quarterbacks do. You know, I, I, uh, I remember um, playing against John Elway when he was a rookie. And, you know, John Elway went on to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. But one time he came up and he's lined up under the guard. And he said, oh, so the, hey, man, what are you, that's the guard. Get up under the center, man. You know, <laughs> but, but when you're, when you're a rookie, a lot of times, you know, you, you, you're not ready for everything. And, and that's what the situation was with the kid last night. But, but the, the, the big thing is, uh, you know, they're going to get guys healthier as the season goes along. But Carson has to say, you know what? I can't turn the ball over against these good teams. Now, they're going to go on a streak where they're going to play about five good teams right in a row. Right. He can't just say, you know, I'm going to just try to do everything and I'm going to make these miraculous plays because they're not going to happen against a good team. So he's got to just, you know, be patient. Wait for a guy to get open. And if he's not there, just throw the ball away. It's all right, you know, because you don't have a great play every play. Right, right. Gary G. Cobb hanging out with us for a little bit. You can look him up, too, at gcobb.com, and just uh, Google him, and you'll find him all over the place, too. Uh, you played for both franchises, both the Eagles and the Cowboys. Just said it, and things have changed over the years, but from a fan base standpoint, I'm guessing both are passionate. I won't ask you which one is more passionate, although maybe I could. Uh, I, think, I think the Eagles fans are definitely more passionate. Really? Uh, unless you were to go to, I think, Cowboys – fans that don't live in Dallas because the, the Cowboys fans that live in Dallas, they're, they're like up there, you know, uh, they go to the game and, and, and they're interested in everything but the game, you know? So, <laughs> so they, uh, they don't have the kind of passion that you hear in Philadelphia because they're interested in the team. They're interested in football and uh, the passion here, I think is second, second to none in the NFL, the passion of Eagles fans. And, um, you know, it's it's personal. I mean, it's not just the game. You know, it's personal, and they don't mind telling you whether you're doing playing well or you're not playing well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this, G, too, because sometimes you'll hear people, and even those same fans who are passionate, kind of playing a general manager and saying, "Okay, well, we shouldn't be really trying to win too much. The team's not that good, and let's, you know, I mean, the division's so bad right now. No one's going to say don't try to win at all. But they're kind of like." poo-pooing the idea, let's get this season over with. The best we'll do is maybe get in the playoffs and win a game. And they're already looking at next year. What do you got? Do? But, you know, as a player, I'm thinking this is your livelihood. And I don't think players, I'm just guessing, are thinking, let's just not worry about this season. It doesn't, you know, let's just look to next year. Because, number one, it's not their job. But it's also, you don't know if you're going to be playing up, suiting up next year. So, right? I mean, am I thinking right? Or Yes, you, you are definitely right. As a player... You don't take anything for granted because at some point, and it, it happened to me, at some point they say, hey, coach wants to see you, bring your playbook. <laughs> that's, that's goodbye. That's, that's another way of saying yeah. <laughs> goodbye. Coach wants to see you, bring your playbook. So players have to think, look, I've got to be the best player I can be right now. I don't have time to take for granted because – Every time I, I get ready to uh, go out for a play or whatever I'm doing, I'm being evaluated. 
And if I'm not doing my job, uh, they're going to get me out of here. And so you, you don't have time to think about what's going to go on next year. In fact, it's kind of like, you know, uh, if you're, you're in the Army and you're out at war, you can't. You don't have a whole lot of time. Say, hey, man, they, they shot Joe. Look, <laughs> they shot yeah. Joe, and guess who's next? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't keep your head down, uh, it's, it's like they joke, uh, you know, about the um, the deer that are out there, and they've been there's some lions or something chasing them or whatever it is, and um, you know they say that <laughs> they they can't be worried about their buddy because they're going to be next for dinner. So. That's the way it is. Uh, you, you really have to make sure you, you're um, you're on top of your job because they can get rid of you at the drop of a hat. So yeah, you got to be ready to play. Well, and, and just on the along those lines, there are years where you could win the you know double digit games and miss the playoffs. So so what if you make the playoffs, winning six or seven games? Just you know take it and ride it, and then see what happens the year after. I mean, you you want to make good adjustments and and build the team. I'm sure Harry Roseman and the team they want to do well with that, but. You take what's you got what's in front of you and I think it's applicable in life. You know, you just can't wait for the perfect moment to start anything. You start with something what you got right in front of you and, and build towards something better. So anyhow. Yeah, you know, and now is the time and see, um you know, you could you could start, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, you know, how you're gonna do next year and everything, and all of a sudden you find out you're not on the team anymore. Hmm. So you you don't have time to think about that and, and, and really I'll tell you this also. If you get to the playoffs, you're three games at the most from the Super Bowl. You could be two games from the Super Bowl. Right. So you, you get that close. Hey, you don't you don't take anything for granted. And you can look up and all of a sudden you got an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl to win the whole thing. So you take advantage of your opportunities. If the Eagles get to um, – if they can get to the playoffs, they'll take it. And they might make it at 6-9-1. and one. Wow. Where they only win six games, lose nine, and tie one, and they could make the playoffs. And, you know, when we were back in high school, uh, you know, the guys, especially, you know, uh, with different players. I played football, basketball, and baseball. So every team I was on, there would be different groups of guys. And, you know, the, the guys had cars, you know, back in school. You know, we had cars. Yeah. But the, the guys, the, the, the cars that we had back in high school, though, you know, most of them were junk. Okay, <laughs> but but and so the guys would make fun of your car. Like I had this bug, uh, you know, it was a uh, old Volkswagen. Yeah. And on the bottom, the air used to come in there, you know, and it, and it would get cold, and that air would be coming in there. And so Flintstone style. I might be give. What's that? Flintstone style through the floorboards. That's or? it. <laughs> so. So guys used to joke, and, and and we would criticize, you know, the guy's car. Like one guy might have a, a black car, and it's got a, a white door, you know, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. So we would be getting on a guy about his car. But we always used to come down to when one of the guys said, a raggedy ride will beat a sporty walk any day of the week. Ooh. So that means, hey, you got two miles you got to go to school or – two miles home or however many miles you would rather be riding than walking. Yeah. So yeah, maybe you make the playoffs with a six, nine and one record, but at the end of the season, you would rather be in the playoffs with that six, nine and one record than out of the playoffs with a 10 and six record. So yeah, 
Gary G. Gobb, our guest. Quick break. We'll keep our conversation rolling. You listen to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFL.com, and on the app, too. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. It's 447, Gary G. Cobb, our guest. So tomorrow's a big day, G. Just uh, wide open, just any thoughts on the election, any thoughts on before God? You know, uh, the citizenship is in heaven, but also we are here, and there's the Romans 13 passage about honoring uh, Caesar and all that, and those in authority. So whatever angle you want to take, anything on your mind or things you've been kicking around well, friends? yeah, you know, I mean, I think, I think that uh, it's definitely, um, you, know, you know, definitely should go out and vote. That's part of your duty. Um, there are a lot of uh, issues that are, I think, uh, you know, on the uh, uh, on the line. You know, I, I uh, you know, happen to be you know, pro-life. You know, I think that's very important. Um, you know, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, um, you know, uh, President Trump, is a pro-life. You know, I'm pro-life. I believe that life, we should honor life because God is the only one that can give you life. You know, he's yeah. the one that gives life. And I don't think that... Uh, we should be denying life, and I think the unborn are definitely, they got life because, you know, the Bible says that I knew you before you were, you were in your mother's womb, you know? Yeah. And so... Um, Psalm 139. Yeah, and I believe that's, um, that's something that's important to me, you know, and I know uh, yeah, that kind of hits home very close because really, um, you know, my mom, when he, her, uh, her and my dad got married, you know, she was having trouble having any kids, you know. They were kind of discouraged. Uh, but thank God, you know, <laughs> that things came came around and <laughs> it had seven of them, you know. So, I, you know, I thank God for that. But, you know, but, but life is uh, important. You know, life is valuable. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I, I start right there. I, I think that uh, I like some of the things, you know, the president has done about Israel with the fact that he's been a great friend to Israel and the Bible says, you know, that, you know, God said that if you bless Israel, he will bless those that, that, that bless Israel. He curse those that curse Israel. So, you know, we're a friend of Israel. I think that's uh, something that, that uh, resonates with me, you know. So that's why, you know, I kind of give you an idea who I'm voting for. But, uh, well, and do this, but, G, this uh, talk, talk for a minute, if you would, about the narrative that, uh, those who vote pro-life tend to just care about the baby in the womb and then stop caring what happens after. And those who may vote, uh, you know, and, and allow abort for someone in power to you know, allow abortion. But they, they say that those folks care about the whole picture and is as much more uh, you know, interested in life overall, um, kind of a you know what I'm saying? So just is that a true narrative in your experience or one party tends to be just about the one issue and the other party is about all the issues? Or do you see it differently and, and experience it differently? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it's true. I, I think it definitely is, is you know, that if uh, that the people that care about, uh, you know, the unborn, you know, care about people when they get here. And, I, you know, I, I think that uh, the whole thing is, um, you know, I don't like the whole thing about depending on government, uh, because uh, when you give government too much power, it, you know, it, it just, you know, something about man, I think, uh, you know, that <laughs> that man has fallen. And when you give people too much power, they become tyrants. That's the history of the world. It's, 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 it's happened again and again and again. And it's going on in certain countries right now that where the government becomes a tyrant and it takes a right, takes away the freedoms of the people 
So, um, yeah. and, and I, I think back to, uh, like, in the early 1960s, um, we were moving from the, the south to the north, and I remember my grandfather saying, uh, when he saw what was going on with the uh, welfare system was was uh, really being accepted by the African-American community, and you had um, people getting on welfare, and that meant the man had to leave the home. And I remember my grandfather saying, and I was a little guy standing there, and I, I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, a man belongs with his family. A man belongs with his family. I don't like this. This is not right. And, and I remember my grandfather saying that. Mm-hmm. And because some of my uncles, they had left their family because the family could get on welfare. And so wow. that has been so destructive to African-American community. I don't you think know, I've ever heard that. People would talk about you know, the police. And, what's that? I don't think I've ever heard that, that actually they were with their family but then left in order to, for oh, the benefit oh, yeah. to in order to get In order to get on welfare, the man could not be there. He could not be living, you know, because they were becoming and checking and everything. The man had could not be with with his with his wife and kids, you know, the man could not be there. And so wow. in doing that, you know, it, it, it's created a pattern. And, uh, you know, back in the, uh, they have, you know, the, the stats that back in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the African-American families were like 80 to 90 percent of them were husband and wife family, you know. They were intact family, husband and wife. But welfare in the 60s has got it down to where it's around 20% or lower now. So then you have all of the trouble in African-American communities. That didn't used to be the case because mainly the people that commit the crimes are young males. That's who commits the crime. Hmm. You know, it's young males. And when I go into the prisons and talk to the guys, nearly 90% of them, they, they never had their father in their life. And uh, th- that problem started with welfare. It didn't start, people think it started with slavery. No, it, that didn't come from slavery. That came from the welfare system, and it's become a, a pattern, and it's been very destructive to the African-American community. And, um, hmm. you know, the same party that's uh, pushing, that uh, the government is the answer to everything, is the same party that sold us welfare, I believe that, uh, you know, there's kind of a coming in knowledge. And in fact, uh, you know, I don't want to get, you know, talking about, you know, um, vice president, the former vice president um, that's running uh, now, that uh, he was part of this bill back in 1994. Joe Biden signed the bill. In fact, he was the author of the bill which was like 10 to, I mean, five to 10 years automatic for anybody that was arrested, you know, for, for uh, any kind of involvement with, with drug sales. And somebody would say, yeah, you know, the drug sales, they should be going away and everything. And I, I, I do uh, you know, believe that definitely the, the um, law enforcement should be strong in that way. But see, what it did, it, it, it took the decision-making out of the hands of a judge. And see, when I go into the jails, I see some, there's some guys in there don't they don't belong in there. They're not hardened criminals. They they might have been out, you know, selling some drugs in their in their neighborhood, and they were out on the corner for a month or you know two weeks. Yeah. And they got busted, and now they're looking at you know ten years in jail. Well, what that does is it, it takes the discretion out of the hands of the 
of the judge who might say, you know what, this this kid here, he, he made a mistake, but we're going to have him do some things, but we're going to try not to get him caught up in the judicial system where he's in uh, the penitentiary and he's in there for 10 years, and we know that it's going to have a major effect on his life, and uh, he hasn't been, uh, you know, becoming a really hardened criminal, and we want to try to prevent that from happening. Uh, but they see they took that hand, they took that out of the hands of a judge, and it wow. was Joe Biden, and uh, he's the one that that did that. Now, you know, on the other hand, I think that uh, President Trump, somebody who wasn't a politician, uh, who's come in and he's done some things like uh, the opportunity zones that he's done, initiated and in, uh, in uh, African American or you know the uh, the uh, different um, challenged neighborhoods. Right. Uh, he's also stepped in and, and uh, done criminal justice reform. Like he's changed that. So now a judge has discretion about what uh, type of sentence they're going to give somebody that uh, comes before their court. The judge has the discretion uh, to, to do what they think is in the best interest of the community and of the, the uh, person that is uh, convicted of a crime. So, you know, he, uh, you know, President Trump was the one that changed that, you know, and, and even um, Vice President, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden said that he made a mistake in that. Well, he was he was in office for eight years with President Obama. Why didn't they change it? You know, then also, you know, you hear people saying that, you know, uh, Donald Trump is a racist. Donald Trump signed a bill which gives like $250 million per year to historic black colleges. Now, he's, he's the one that, that, that signed the bill to give the thumbs up. In fact, they came and they asked for less than $250 million, and he told them they needed more money. Wow. <laughs> and so, and then he told them uh, they were going to come back every year, and he told them no. We're going to sign this so you're taken care of for 10 years. So you get this $250 million because the historic black colleges uh, were really hurting. I mean, they, their funding was, you know, sapping up. And, you know, so I, I could go on and on and give other uh, issues that he has done things. I mean, if he said he's going to do something, that's one thing he has, he has been uh, very forthcoming. The things he said he was going to do, he has done. Gary G. Cobb, always a pleasure talking with you, man, on all sorts of fronts. And uh, the, the best part about everything with all the different topics and the election and everything else going on in the world is that God's still on his throne. And, uh, yes, he is. You know? <laughs> I, yes, I'm, he is. I, I'm taking my comfort in that regardless and yep. building my life on That's that. That's right. I know you do, too. That's right. That's right. That's why we can be secure in that. And, uh, you know, if uh, whatever, uh, you know, we had, we um, – are going to face going forward. We're ready for it because we still got him right here by our side. So that's it. We thank God for that. Amen. Well, great hanging with you, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. I'm sure. Enjoy your rest of your night, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. All right, you too. Good Thanks talking again. to you. You too. Bye bye. All right. God bless you. You too. Gary G. Cobb, former Eagle, longtime Philly sports talk host, also Pastor Steve Smallman, joined us earlier in the hour. Thanks for listening in. Looking forward to doing it tomorrow. Have a wonderful evening. Jim Max and Max 413 Ministries leads in prayer next. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.